the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for the Your Personal Bank Show with Parents Toe. In an era of chaos, confusion, and craziness, Parents is a voice for common sense. As a financial literacy educator, speaker, and entrepreneur, Parents cuts through the noise to help us understand how current events affect our money, economy, and our freedom. Now, here's Parents Toe. Welcome to the Your Personal Bank Show. Thought since we have so many new listeners with new stations, and uh, welcome, by the way, it's really exciting. Um, I thought I would uh, cover some common questions and dispel a few common myths about the personal bank concept. Um, <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, by the way, I did a show. What is your personal bank? Kind of got got into the basics, so I don't I don't want to do too much of that today. Um, if you missed that, um, you can always go to the yourpersonalbank.com website. Again, it's yourpersonalbank.com, and you can listen to this or any of the previously recorded shows, actually, um, on that uh, on the website. But like I said, today I want to cover some of the common questions and dispel some of the common myths um, about the personal bank concept. Uh, these are things that I get folks that ask me, uh, nearly on a daily basis, so uh, it's pretty common. So let's just jump into some of them. First of all, really quickly, uh, of course, your personal bank is a two-step process. The concept is where we set up a high cash value policy, and it's designed to maximize cash growth uh, while minimizing the death benefit. We want our money to grow. We have two major options in that regard. <clears throat> the first, of course, is uh, dividends, where you we have companies paying up to 6% dividends currently. That's insured, guaranteed tax-free, okay, so it's pretty powerful. These are companies that have been paying these types of dividends. Um, they've never paid less than that for the last 25-plus years. Historical averages, by the way, around 7 to 8% uh, in a normal interest rate environment, which we are quickly approaching thanks to our <laughs> Federal Reserve. <clears throat> and then uh, we have companies that have, been, have never missed a dividend since literally before the Civil War. So, that's pretty powerful, folks. They pay to pay dividends through the Great Depression, both World Wars, the Great Recession, you name it, well positioned to continue to do so for you know the next generation at least, okay, if not longer. Anyway, the second step, so again, we want to put our money in to grow cash, grow dividends, grow it consistently. We also do have an index option. People are familiar with IULs where you can have you know double digit growth based on good market years it's based on indexes like the S&P 500 and no loss on the uh, down years so the downside is protected um obviously that's been less favorable the past year or two because uh the stock market has struggled obviously and so you know when it, I can give you both options I'll show you the numbers in both directions but frankly uh majority of people today are choosing the guaranteed steady eddy consistent growth because we are in a rising dividend environment with a rising interest rate environment. So <clears throat> it's kind of nice. Plus, you have higher liquidity on, on those steady, eddy, consistent ones. Again, you can have access to anywhere from 50 to 90% of the money day one, okay? So and, with, and within a few years, 100% plus. So high liquidity, guarantees, insured, tax-free. I mean, you know, it's pretty, pretty tough to beat, especially these days. Uh, great diversification strategy and all that. And we'll talk about more of that today, by the way. The second step is, of course, that's growing the money. That's putting it in, let it grow. The second step, of course, is when you access it, what do you do? Um, well, there's a couple of ways you can access funds. One, the most common one, is we set up a bank line of credit where we use the cash in the policy as collateral for the loan, much like a HELOC, home equity line of credit, is used often with property, real estate, <clears throat> where you take the equity in the property is the collateral for the loan. Several advantages of those types of loans. First of all, no cost, no fee, no points, okay? Uh, you only get charged interest when you access the funds. Um, you can pay it back at any point you want to. Um, you don't have to pay principal or interest even if you don't want to. And what that does is that gives you back control of your money. 
Uh, most every loan, most people understand that if you borrow money, you have a monthly payment. Here you do not. If you do not pay it back, of course, uh, ultimately there is a death benefit that pays off the loan when you pass away. Okay? That's how it works. Now, just because you don't have a loan or don't have any payments you have to pay back doesn't mean that's necessarily the best way to go. I just want you to understand that that option is available. And so what's nice about that, it allows you to gain control and you can pay back loans, principal or interest or both, if and when you see fit on your schedule. So when it makes sense for you, again, giving you more control. What typically what I recommend folks to do is when they do access funds from the policy is to pay the pay the monthly interest. And the reason is quite simple. If your money is in the policy, let's say it's growing, it stays in the policy, so it's growing compound, and then you access it, say, through a bank line, you're borrowing, and if you're paying the monthly uh, interest, then you're borrowing simple interest. If you understand the difference between compound interest and simple interest, it's a super, super powerful concept. Uh, some people call compound interest the eighth wonder of the world uh, because, well, it is. It's if money goes from one to two, say $1 to $2, and then it doubles, let's say, roughly every seven to ten years, okay? It'll go from $2 to 4 and then 4 to 8 8 to 16 and so on. You can start to see after a few decades the compounding factor of these things is incredible, okay? And you can here's where the your personal bank concept really separates itself and where a lot of folks, if they miss the point, they kind of they, they miss this is where they miss the boat, if you will. And that is you can continue to earn interest on money even after you access it. Now, that's called positive arbitrage, by the way. And it's a fancy term for really it's nothing more than you're earn if you're getting paid more than you're getting charged when you access the funds, you get to keep the difference, right? And even if it's only one percent or two percent or three percent whatever, two to three percent is the normal historical average positive arbitrage. We're less than that at the moment because of the interest rate environment and the aggressive increases with the Fed. But we'll, we'll quickly get back into those positive arbitrage scenarios and even higher than average, I believe, in the next few years. I'll share with you why in a few minutes. But if you're earning any kind of interest when you're positive arbitrage, in other words, you're keeping the difference after you spend the funds, well, by definition, you'll have more money, won't you? Because if you can earn interest on money you spent, used for other purposes, that means that's extra money in your pocket. It's that simple. It's math, folks. And that's the, ca that's the key. That's the powerful difference of your personal bank versus any other financial tool or investment out there. The ability to earn interest on money you allocate or spend and use elsewhere. Again, why is this so powerful? Well, why is it so important? That's why it's powerful. Why is it so important right now? Inflation. Inflation eats away at the value of our dollar, right? So the bottom line is we need our dollars to go farther, last longer, do more for us. If you can earn some interest, again, on money you spent, that's the key. That's the power. You're going to have more money. Your money's going to go farther. It's going to last longer, and it will help you offset inflation. That's a super powerful key. You know, um, <laughs> I, I get to ask this question all the time, and, and let me go back to one other thing that comes up all the time, and it's, it's, it's that borrowing piece, okay? Because, again, if someone misses the boat, this is where it's at. You know, they're like, well, I don't want to borrow. I don't want debt. Okay, we're taught not to have debt. I get that. I'm, I'm against debt myself. But there is a time and a place for it, and understanding debt, this is a key financial literacy piece that's taught so infrequently, so few people know about, but it, it should be universally known or taught. But it's the understanding of the difference of strategic debt versus consumer debt. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, uh, consumer debt is known as bad debt. That's where payments are made from your efforts. In other words, if you have to go to work, whether it's your business, your work, your, your job, whatever, if, you, if it requires effort from you to make the money to pay the bill, that's consumer debt, that's bad debt, that's the kind of debt that could get you in trouble 
really fast, especially if you have some kind of loss of income. Uh, most of us have been there at some point in our lives. We understand what that's about. Uh, we've gotten the nasty letters or late pay notices in red, right? You know, it, it crashes your credit score. It's just, it's n- you get, and you, if, depending on how bad the situation could get, you know, you have uh, collectors, you know, bankruptcies, all kinds of nasty things can happen, and none of those are any fun, right? And if anybody's experienced uh, any of that type of thing in their li- at any point in their lifetime, you don't forget those lessons, okay? It, 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 it sucks, okay? It's, it's just no two ways about it. So you learn to avoid it with a, you know, a 10-foot pole, if you know what I'm saying. The key, though, is, and, 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 and it's even biblical, by the way, it's, you know, whether I'm not here to preach to anyone, but you believe bottom line is the debtor works for the lender. And that's a that's a true fact. OK, plain and simple. You don't want to be working for the lender. Banks loan money. OK, lenders loan money to earn interest on that money. But who's who are you working for? Well, you're working for the lender. Right. So that is what consumer debt is or bad debt. Credit cards fall into that car category. Typically, Um uh, Auto loans can uh, often be in that category, any kind of personal loans, things like that. Again, if you have to put effort to pay the bill, that is bad debt. You want to eliminate that as soon as possible. Now, I'm going to encourage you to stay tuned in the next segment because I'm going to talk about the other type of debt called strategic debt. This is the type of debt where you can use strategically and build wealth, and your personal bank will allow you to do that. Okay, so... I want you to understand, it's a powerful, powerful concept you want to make sure you understand. So stay tuned. Stay tuned for more common sense from Ferrans. For more information, contact Ferrans at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Ferenc Toth. Want more information? Contact Ferenc at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ferenc Toth. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show. And, uh, you know, I, I was discussing, starting to discuss a personal bank concept, but it's kind of, I've, devo- I've veered, if you will, off course. A little, well, it's not off course, but I've veered into the concept of debt and understanding the difference between consumer debt and strategic debt. Folks, this is something that's super important to understand and is hardly ever taught anywhere. I've shared this before. I formerly uh, at one point uh, taught a college-certified financial literacy course, and this was one of the major – in fact, this was the first – one of the first major key points – in this course that 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 I w- we would teach, and again, consumer debt versus strategic debt. I covered consumer debt in the last segment. If you missed it, go to yourpersonalbank.com. I strongly encourage you to check that out because you can listen to the, this or any of the previously recorded shows. Again, yourpersonalbank.com. But again, uh, consumer debt is debt that you requires payments or requires your effort to pay them. You have to go to work. You have to. Put in time, effort to make the money to pay the bill. That's consumer debt. You want to eliminate, reduce that as soon as possible, and that's the type of debt that can get you in trouble. Strategic debt is a whole different animal, and you can build wealth with strategic debt. And I'm going to use a quick example that most people are familiar with without even realizing it, and that has to do with rental property. For example, if you were to buy a rental property, for, and let's say you took a loan, a mortgage, to purchase that property, and then you rented it out, and the rent income covered your your expenses, the, the mortgage and all your expenses, and hopefully a positive arbitrage, a positive cash flow, right, which is positive arbitrage, okay? So you're, you're earning more than you're paying out, right? You're keeping the difference. That's positive cash flow or positive arbitrage, okay? Most people are familiar with that. My question to you is really simple. Can you build wealth that way? And the answer is obvious. Of course you can. We're all, we all know of situations, and many of us have done it ourselves, where we've had rental property or cash flow properties, 
Um, and we took debt on to create that positive cash flow, right? And you can certainly build wealth that way. And the key, like I said, the key to understanding is, is this. When you, you have that mortgage payment on that rental property, right? Why is it positive, good debt, or strategic debt? The answer is, who's paying that bill? Who's paying that mortgage payment? You or the renter? And the answer is, of course, the renter, someone else. Someone else is paying the mortgage for you instead of you. So whether you went to work or not, whether you went to your business or not, whether you earned income or not, someone else's, their rent payment is covering that mortgage payment, right? And obviously, you know, if you lost the renter, you could most likely get another one, someone else that would pay it. In other words, someone else's effort, not yours. That is the key to building positive cash flow or positive arbitrage or wealth, folks. That's how you build wealth. Accumulation is nice. Cash flow is king, okay, is the key because we all need income to live. We eat, we need clothing, we need shelter, right? We need income to live. If you accumulate, that's nice and well and good, but the problem is you have to sell off some of that accumulation or what it earns or grows to be able to, say, turn it into usable dollars that you can go buy food, for example, or whatever, right? That's why cash flow is so powerful. And one of the things we teach in the financial literacy is you want to pursue cash flow more than accumulation. Cash flow is more important than accumulation. But, folks, what do we, al- what do we always hear? What are we always taught? Well, we're taught to oh, buy stocks, buy this, buy, buy different assets, and set it and forget it. Let, let them accumulate. Let them sit for 10, 20 years, whatever, right? And I'm not saying you shouldn't, should not do that. <clears throat> but what I'm saying is you should focus on cash flow first, first and foremost. And that's a big mistake that most Americans that I see, most people make, okay? It's very common because they're looking at the accumulation of their, you know, they're looking at their statement, their broker statement or whatever, and see what it's, you know, on paper, they're worth X amount of dollars or it's grown in X amount. And that's great. Like I said, those are paper gains and those can be, uh, we all know paper losses too. It can go up, it can go down, but until you turn it into something tangible, you sell it and you turn it into something where you can buy something like food or clothing or whatever it is you want to buy. It's not real, is it? Cash flow is cash flow is key. So what I want you to understand is don't be so afraid of debt. Don't be so negative to debt. The key is understand debt. And the key to understanding debt is who's making the payment, you or someone else. And that's where the personal bank concept is so powerful because, remember, you're borrow using a bank line of credit in most cases to access the funds but the cash is in the policy, right? The cash is earning dividends, let's say, or index index earnings. But let's just say dividends, keep it simple. Well, who's paying the dividends? You or someone else? It's the insurance company paying the dividends, right? And if you borrow against it using the bank line of credit, who's paying the monthly who's paying the interest? You or the insurance company's dividends? It's the insurance company dividends, the earnings that are covering the interest. And as long as the earnings is more, the same or more than the interest, you're ahead of the ballgame, aren't you? You're growing wealth. You're growing cash flow. You're growing positive arbitrage. Folks, that's a huge key to wealth success, Okay. So that's something that I think is super valuable to understand. I, I, I share that often in my workshops. I haven't shared the, gone into a lot of depth like I did more today on the, the understanding the difference of strategic debt versus consumer debt on the radio. But I probably should do that more because, again, it's something that's so misunderstood. Again, we're just taught avoid debt, and we try to avoid it with a plague. I, I get people all the time that will say to me, well, I just don't want to have any debt. No, really what you should say is I don't want to have any consumer debt. There, I agree with you 100%. But strategic debt, again, 
can help you build wealth. And, and the key to understanding that, again, last time is someone else is making the payment. Some other entity or some other person is covering the, the payment, and you're keeping the difference. You're keeping the appreciation, the growth, the difference of the cash and the policy, for example, or a rental property, for example. You're growing wealth, and that is how it's done, folks. I mean, that's probably, you know, I've seen the studies and, and uh, everything else, and that, that is definitely the most common way for people to build wealth. It just is. Um, it, it's, it's the most understood. It's the most easily accessible. And one of the things I love to do, too, is, again, I'm a, a, generally speaking a big fan of real estate because of the positive cash flow it in, in, entails. But combining that with the personal bank concept, you now get the positive arbitrage with the cash and the policy. Remember, the dividends you're earning minus the interest you're, pay, you're getting charged, you're keeping the difference. Plus, if you allocate those dollars, say, to a real estate investment to create additional cash flow, now you're piling cash flow on cash flow, right? You're double dipping, so to speak. You're double earning. I have a l lots and lots of clients that in employ that that those concepts and it really you start piling that on years year after year after year and you go forward several years three five seven ten years folks get out of the way look out it gets really interesting it gets really fun really quick okay so um i just kind of wanted to go into that a little bit different again dispel the myth of debt is bad. I know there's even famous people out there that talk about getting out of debt. And again, I'm all for getting out of debt, but again, define it. It's not defined. Get out of consumer debt. You can build wealth through strategic debt. And don't be afraid of that. Um, that's, but again, one of the things too, uh, the key to understanding successful strategic debt is Who's right? Like I said before, who's paying the debt? But make sure it's it's got to be a consistent, solid, steady, even guaranteed income source, right? You can't, you don't want to have that income source that's paying off the interest to be at risk or or variable. It, it could be more or less in a given year. That's where you get in trouble, also, because if let's say you have a there's a bad return year. And it's not earning as much, okay? And you have a set expense, borrowing expense, right? And you're not making you you would have could have to make up the difference. That's why we like the guaranteed insured, guaranteed tax free dividends because you're guaranteed to grow each and every year. You know how much it is, and if, again, for the last forty two years in a row, it's the same or higher, okay? With guarantees, so you can build wealth. You can use strategic debt to build wealth. I'm going to encourage you to stay tuned in the next segment because I'm going to talk about another financial literacy topic that I run into all the time. And again, I'm going to dispel a few myths, and that has to do with taxes and how your personal bank can help you reduce your overall income tax liability. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss this. Stay tuned for more common sense from Ferens. For more information, Contact parents at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Parents Toth. Want more information? Contact parents at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ferenc Toth. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show. And I started discussing some of the common questions about uh, your personal bank and kind of uh, steered into some financial literacy topics that your personal bank can actually help you address. So uh, I, I think this is very, uh, these are very common misconceptions and myths out there and questions that I get all the time. So the last, last segment I was talking, uh, discussing strategic debt versus consumer debt and understanding the difference. And really, if you missed it, uh, go to yourpersonalbank.com, check it out, and listen to uh, this or any of the previously recorded shows, actually. 
what I want to talk about next is taxes. So this is another topic that's has lots of questions, lots of misunderstanding and misinformation, if you will. What is it? The common thing, misinformation and disinformation. That's what we always hear. I'm going to cut through some noise here and clarify some things. So let's let's discuss taxes. Because uh, recently, you know, we had tax day, and uh, it's been on top of mind for a lot of folks. Here's the que- here's the thing that you, uh, I run run into with folks. Oh, super common. Okay, this is super common. So most people who invest money for the future uh, use IRAs and four four hundred one ks as financial instruments to build uh, accumulate money for retirement stuff like that. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that per se. I mean, you want to put money away for the future. That in in itself is a good uh, good strategy. But but there's some things that a lot of people are missing and don't even realize. And one of those is future tax risk. And what I mean by that is, can you tell me what the tax rates are going to going to be five, ten, twenty years down the road, or when you retire? And the answer is no, it's impossible. It's impossible to know what future tax rates are going to be, right? We don't have a crystal ball. We don't have a time machine, so we can't, we don't know. So in other words, that is a potential risk, just like a market risk. Most people understand if you invest, say, in a stock, in the stock market, they understand that the, there's risk of that stock going up or down in value in the future, right? It's, un, it's an unknown. Overall, over time, ideally, you want to see it go up in value. But there can be times it could certainly lose value. Well, tax risk is is something that's often overlooked because what is the future tax rates going to be? And again, that's an unknown. Now, here's the other problem with that. We all know that the federal government currently has about $31 trillion in debt. This is what they admit to, okay? There's a number of other unfunded um, <laughs> monies out there that add up to quite a bit, much higher numbers. But let's just stick with the $31 trillion in federal debt that they currently admit to. What is going to happen to the future tax rates? Do you think they're going to be higher or lower? And why that's such a valuable, important question is with us debt. I mean, eventually, ultimately, at some point, this debt's going to have to be reduced or paid down, right? The, in other words, the government cannot just continue printing money ad nauseum and, and to infinity, right? There's going to be financial repercussions. So we are seeing some of that now with the high inflation, for example, we've seen in the last year or so. So my point is there's really there's a couple of ways to reduce debt. One is bring in more income to pay down the debt. So for, if it's the government, that means raising taxes bringing in more revenues, higher taxes to help pay down the debt. Uh, The other one is they can reduce spending. Now, that one's almost laughable because we haven't seen an administration of any party for, well, my lifetime spend less money. So unless something dramatic in that arena changes, and I'm hopeful that could still happen, but but I'm I'm not counting on it, right? Reducing spending certainly would help reduce the debt, obviously. But the more likely option, or the more like the most likely option, is going to be a combination of both, of increased spending. I'm sorry, increased taxes and reduced spending, uh, is what ultimately, if we're going to reduce the debt, that's what's going to have to happen. So, if taxes go up in the future, why is that so important? Well, especially if you have an IRA or a 401k then that means you're going to pay taxes on the withdrawals when you take the money out. Let's say you're putting it away to let it grow. Tax deferred, that's the term, means you're not paying tax year to year so it can grow without tax burden. But ultimately, when you do access the money, you're going to have to pay the tax on it. Well, what if the tax rates are higher in the future? Well, that means you're going to pay more in taxes. Let me give you another example. What a lot of people do not think about and realize is if you put your money away into an investment, let's say in the IRA or 401k type of thing, and let's say it does what it's supposed to do over a period of time and, the, and it grows. The account grows in value, right, which is, which is what you want to have happen. That's the goal, right? Well, doesn't that mean there's more money there? In other words, it's a bigger pile of money, right? This is something a lot of people don't consider. 
Well, when you do take it out, that means you're going to have to pay tax on all the monies because you've deferred those taxes, right, from the previous to the, you know, to when you take it out in the future. Well, you're going to pay taxes on a bigger pile of money. Ultimately, if, you're, if your IRA 401k type of account grows, you're ultimately going to pay more in total tax, right, because you have a larger amount of money, a bigger pile of money. Now, the argument for that is that you'll be in a lower tax bracket in retirement. Well, guess what, folks? There are many studies that have come out for <laughs> numbers of years that show that, show that about 80 to 85% of the time, retirees are in the same or higher tax bracket in retirement than they were when they were working. Why is that? Why would that be? Well, the reason comes down to, depending on their income, retirement income, maybe pension, but guess what? Social Security benefits happen to be taxable also. This is the type of thing a lot of people don't consider or don't really look into. So even if the tax rates don't increase in the future, most people believe they will because of our federal debt and et cetera and federal spending problem that we have, but even if they don't go up, you could like you could very easily be in the same bracket in retirement than you are when you were working. So by did you benefit by deferring the tax? And the answer is no. So there's a, a pretty good chance you're going to be in the same bracket because Social Security benefits are taxable, for example, in addition to much investment, many investment income, and the money you're taking from that IRA is also income. So when you add it all up, that's what happens quite often. Again, 80 to 85% of the time are the statistics. And you have a bigger pile of money most of the time, so you're paying more in tax overall than you did um, than you would have just up front. By the way, that's why Roth conversions often are so popular. Many people have heard of a Roth conversion. And in, 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 it's, in essence, it's taking a traditional IRA, taking a portion of it each year, paying the tax on it now, and allow it to grow tax-free for the rest of your life. Well, folks, your personal bank accomplishes the same thing from a tax standpoint. Money's going to grow tax-free the rest of your life. Um, why, not, uh, why not take advantage of that? with some guaranteed dividends and all that kind of good stuff, right? See, how are taxes going to affect your retirement in the future? Well, it really depends on what bracket tax bracket you're in, but let me give you a quick, simple example. Let's say you have a $100,000 IRA. Keep it real simple. If it was tax-free, which it wouldn't be, if you had a $100,000 account, I'll put it that way, that was tax-free, it'd be worth 100000 right? Let's say you were in the 15% tax bracket, and it was a taxable account, like an IRA or 401k. Well, that means your account's actually worth eighty-five thousand. Because remember, fifteen percent of it, or fifteen thousand, would go to taxes, wouldn't it? And if you're in the thirty-five percent bracket, your account's actually worth sixty-five thousand. Folks, taxes have a huge, and I mean a huge, impact on the actual value of retirement accounts, like for IRAs and 401ks. I'm not. Please understand. I'm not saying you shouldn't do an IRA or 401k. In fact, if you have a company match on a 401k, by all means, take advantage of that because the company is matching money. That's free money. Always take free money, right? I'm not against. Please understand. I'm not against IRA or 401ks. What I am. The problem I see though is far too many people. The vast majority of people I run into put. It, most, if not all, of their money into an IRA or 401k, which locks them in from a tax standpoint where literally most, if not all, of their money has future tax risk, unknown tax risk. And if tax rates go up, they're stuck. They don't have any options. And that's why I always discuss setting up a second bucket of money, a tax-free bucket of money makes sense. Your personal bank can accomplish that for you. What does it do? It creates options. Folks, would you rather have an option? Would you have to rather have the option of, hey, I've got some money in this taxable account, i got some money in this tax-free account, and each year I can decide how much to pull from each one within reason and manage or minimize my overall tax liability. Depends on what happens in the future. I always like options. In my opinion, options 
are smart and wise financial. Well, it's just wise planning, period, not just financial planning. And the last thing I want to leave you with, there's a book called The Power Zero. If you have an IRA or 401K, I strongly, strongly recommend reading this book. The title is The Power of Zero. The author is David McKnight. Again, David McKnight, The Power of Zero. You can get it anywhere. I have nothing to do with it, but it's a powerful book on IRAs and 401Ks. Stay tuned in the next segment. I'm going to talk about a few other things like market risk, so don't miss it. Stay tuned for more Common Sense from Ferrans. For more information, contact Ferrans at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Ferrans Toth. Want more information? Contact Ferrans at 866 866- 268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ferenc Toth. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show. And, uh, you know, I, I was discussing, starting to discuss a personal bank concept, but it's kind of, I've, dev- I've veered, if you will, off course. A little, well, it's not off course, but I've veered into the concept of debt and understanding the difference between consumer debt and strategic debt. Folks, this is something that's super important to understand and is hardly ever taught anywhere. I, I've shared this before. I formerly uh, at one point uh, taught a college-certified financial literacy course, and this was one of the major – in fact, this was the first – one of the first major key points in this course that, that, that I w- we would teach – and again, consumer debt versus strategic debt. I covered consumer debt in the last segment. If you missed it, go to yourpersonalbank.com. I strongly encourage you to check that out because you can listen to the, this or any of the previously recorded shows. Again, yourpersonalbank.com. But again, uh, consumer debt is debt that you requires payments or requires your effort to pay them. You have to go to work. You have to put in time, effort to make the money to pay the bill. That's consumer debt. You want to eliminate, reduce that as soon as possible, and that's the type of debt that can get you in trouble. Strategic debt is a whole different animal, and you can build wealth with strategic debt. And I'm going to use a quick example that most people are familiar with without even realizing it, and that has to do with rental property. For example, if you were to buy a rental property, and let's say you took a loan, a mortgage, to purchase that property, and then you rented it out, and the rent income covered your your expenses, the, the mortgage and all your expenses, and hopefully a positive arbitrage, a positive cash flow, right, which is positive arbitrage, okay? So you're, you're earning more than you're paying out, right? You're keeping the difference. That's positive cash flow or positive arbitrage, okay? Most people are familiar with that. My question to you is really simple. Can you build wealth that way? And the answer is obvious. Of course you can. We're all, we all know of situations, and many of us have done it ourselves, where we've had rental property or cash flow properties, um, and we took debt on to create that positive cash flow, right? And you can certainly build wealth that way. And the key, like I said, the key to understanding is, is this. When you, you have that mortgage payment on that rental property, right, why is it? positive, good debt, or strategic debt? The answer is, who's paying that bill? Who's paying that mortgage payment? You or the renter? And the answer is, of course, the renter, someone else. Someone else is paying the mortgage for you instead of you. So whether you went to work or not, whether you went to your business or not, whether you earned income or not, someone else's, their rent payment is covering that mortgage payment, right? And obviously, you know, if you lost the renter, you could most likely get another one, someone else that would pay it. In other words, someone else's effort, not yours. That is the key to building positive cash flow or positive arbitrage or wealth, folks. That's how you build wealth. Accumulation is nice. Cash flow is king, okay, is the key because we all need income to live. We eat, we need clothing, we need shelter, right? We need income to live. If you accumulate, 
that's nice and well and good, but the problem is you have to sell off some of that accumulation or what it earns or grows to be able to, say, turn it into usable dollars that you can go buy food, for example, or whatever, right? That's why cash flow is so powerful. And one of the things we teach in the financial literacy is you want to pursue cash flow more than accumulation. Cash flow is more important than accumulation. But, folks, what do we, all, what do we always hear? What are we always taught? Well, we're taught to oh, buy stocks, buy this, buy, buy different assets, and set it and forget it. Let, let them accumulate. Let them sit for 10, 20 years, whatever, right? And I'm not saying you should, should not do that. But what I'm saying is you should focus on cash flow first, first and foremost. And that's a big mistake that most Americans that I see, most people make, okay? It's very common because they're looking at the accumulation of their, you know, they're looking at their statement, their broker statement or whatever, and see what it's, you know, on paper they're worth X amount of dollars or it's grown in X amount, and that's great. Like I said, those are paper gains, and those can be... We all know paper losses, too. It can go up, it can go down. But until you turn it into something tangible, you sell it, and you turn it into something where you can buy something like food or clothing or whatever it is you want to buy, it's not real, is it? Cash flow is. Cash flow is key. So what I want you to understand is don't be so afraid of debt. Don't be so negative to debt. The key is understand debt. And the key to understanding debt is who's making the payment, you or someone else. And that's where the personal bank concept is so powerful because, remember, you're borrow using a bank line of credit in most cases to access the funds, but the cash is in the policy, right? The cash is earning dividends, let's say, or index, index earnings. But let's just say dividends to keep it simple. Well, who's paying the dividends? You or someone else. It's the insurance company paying the dividends, right? And if you borrow against it using the bank line of credit, who's paying the monthly, who's paying the interest? You or the insurance company's dividends? It's the insurance company dividends, the earnings that are covering the interest. And as long as the earnings is more, the same or more than the interest, you're ahead of the ballgame, aren't you? You're growing wealth. You're growing cash flow. You're growing positive arbitrage. Folks, that's a huge key to wealth success. Okay? So that's something that I think is super valuable to understand. I, I share that often in my workshops. I haven't shared the, gone into a lot of depth like I did more today on the, the understanding the difference of strategic debt versus consumer debt on the radio. But I probably should do that more because, again, it's something that's so misunderstood. Again, we're just taught avoid debt, and we try to avoid it with a plague. I, I get people all the time that will say to me, well, I just don't want to have any debt. No, really what you should say is I don't want to have any consumer debt. There, I agree with you 100%. But strategic debt, again, can help you build wealth. And and the key to understanding it, again, last time, is someone else is making the payment. Some other entity or some other person is covering the, the payment, and you're keeping the difference, you're keeping the appreciation, the growth, the difference of the cash and the policy, for example, or a rental property, for example. You're growing wealth, and that is how it's done, folks. I mean, that's probably... You know, I've seen the studies and and uh, everything else, and that that is definitely the most common way for people to build wealth. It just is. Um, it, it's it's the most understood. It's the most easily accessible. And one of the things I love to do too is, again, I'm a, uh, generally speaking a big fan of real estate because of the positive cash flow it, it, it entails. But combining that with the personal bank concept, you now get the positive arbitrage with the cash and the policy. Remember, the dividends you're earning minus the interest you're pay, getting charged, you're keeping the difference. Plus, if you allocate those dollars, say, to a real estate investment to create additional cash flow, now you're piling cash flow on cash flow, right? You're double dipping, so to speak. You're double earning. I have a l lots and lots of clients that... in employ that that those concepts 
And it really, you start piling that on year, year after year after year, and you go forward several years, three, five, seven, ten years. Folks, get out of the way. Look out. It gets really interesting. It gets really fun really quick, okay? So um, I just kind of wanted to go into that a little bit different. Again, dispel the myth of debt is bad. I know there's even famous people out there who talk about getting out of debt. And again, I'm all for getting out of debt, but again, define it. It's not defined. Get out of consumer debt. You can build wealth through strategic debt. And don't be afraid of that. Um, that's, but again, one of the things too, uh, the key to understanding successful strategic debt is Who's right? Like I said before, who's paying the debt? But make sure it's it's got to be a consistent, solid, steady, even guaranteed income source, right? You can't, you don't want to have that income source that's paying off the interest to be at risk or or variable. It, it could be more or less in a given year. That's where you get in trouble, also, because if let's say you have a there's a bad return year and it's not earning as much, okay, and you have a set expense, borrowing expense, right, and you're not making, you, you would have, could have to make up the difference. That's why we like the guaranteed, insured, guaranteed tax-free dividends because you're guaranteed to grow each and every year. You know how much it is, and if, again, for the last 42 years in a row, it's the same or higher, okay, with guarantees. So you can build wealth. You can use strategic debt to build wealth. I'm going to encourage you to stay tuned in the next segment because I'm going to talk about another financial literacy topic that I run into all the time. And again, I'm going to dispel a few myths, and that has to do with taxes and how your personal bank can help you reduce your overall income tax liability. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss this. Stay tuned for more common sense from Ferens. For more information, Contact parents at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Ferentz Toth. Want more information? Contact parents at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ferentz Toth. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show. And we're discussing a number of financial literacy topics today that I find are very commonly misunderstood or, you know, was just, yeah, lots of questions, lots of misunderstanding. And the first one I, I really discussed was debt, understanding the, the difference between consumer debt versus strategic debt. Uh, all debt is not bad. In fact, strategic debt, you can absolutely build wealth strategically. Um, a rental property is a great example of that. I was discussing taxes in the last segment and really understanding what are the what is the tax risk, future tax risk, particularly on accounts like IRAs and 401ks. Again, I'm not saying you shouldn't do one. What I'm saying is you should create options create a tax-free bucket of money so it gives you options so that if the future tax rates do go up, for example, or your personal tax rates increase, um, you have options. You're not just stuck with whatever whatever rate Congress decides to stick to, stick to us. You know what I'm saying? The next financial literacy concept that I find a, a lot of questions on, a lot of misunderstanding, and where your personal bank can really help address and that has to do with risk or market risk in general. You know, it's, it's well understood that, you know, if you invest in the stock market, for example, um, you know, there's risk of, the, you know, obviously there's opportunity for the, the stock to go up and there's risk of it to go down. And that's why many people diversify, um, you know, to mitigate that risk. So they'll buy index funds or or various different baskets of stocks, for example, to try to mitigate that, minimize that risk. You know, if you have 10 stocks, for example, and one loses and the other goes up, it balances out. You know what I'm trying to say. That's the, 
That's the power of diversification. Well, again, I've, I've said, often said this, uh, and the financial literacy courses also teach this, that the term diversification has been, has changed it's, it, over the decades. See, if you go back, go back a ways, diversification, true diversification, meant you diversified into assets that are non-correlated, uncorrelated assets. And what do I mean by that? In other words, you, maybe you had some investments in real estate and maybe in the stock market and maybe you had some bonds and maybe you had uh, some, you know, a CD or precious metal or something. In other words, <coughs> or guaranteed dividend, you know, type of investment like per- the personal bank is or whatever. In other words, you had investments or assets that had nothing to do with each other, right? Well, Wall Street is kind of, how should I say, uh, taken that term and kind of changed the meaning to mean that diversification means you're in different sectors in the market, right? So maybe you're, you know, you have investments in utilities and growth stocks and various different uh, sectors, right? The problem is, oftentimes we see, particularly in large moves like, you know, we saw in 08, 09, great example. Um, we saw in early 2000, 01, 02, same kind of thing. Um, and we've seen most recently a lot of this, too, is a rising tide tends to raise all ships and a lowering tide lowers all ships, right? In other words, I saw this firsthand with so, so many of my clients that were invested in the market, let's say, and they thought they were, they were, they were diversified from Wall Street's definition. They were had a broad index of different stocks and different sectors and everything. And in that period with the Great Recession, very little <laughs> did well. In other words, most, and most of my, my clients, and again, this is experience of hundreds of clients over my career, um, looking at their statements, looking at their situations, real world, okay, real world stuff right here. Um, they were generally more on the conservative side, so it wasn't like they were, you know, going for the high flyers and taking on huge risk. And the reality was most, if not all, of their uh, assets were had lost value. In other words, the whole account value was, was down and oftentimes quite significantly. Again, it was that whole idea of the rising tide raising all ships and the lowering tide lowering all ships, okay? Well, what was interesting was the folks, the clients that I worked with where they had a non-correlated asset, like your personal bank or an annuity or maybe a CD. If you go back enough years, CDs used to pay decent interest. They're starting to do that again, okay? Um, You know, real estate maybe or precious metals or whatever. My point is simple is, Yes, maybe their market investment went down, but uh, their guaranteed stuff didn't, of course, did lose and went continued to go up. And folks, that's true diversification in non-correlated assets, things that have nothing to do with each other and are not affected by the same economic uh, impacts or the same economic uh, um, influences, right? And so one of the probably most common uh, reasons why listeners contact me and choose to invest in your personal bank strategy is is the diversification idea because it's a truly it's a truly non-correlated asset to the stock market or the real estate market or precious metals or you know most anything else that most people invest in right so it gives you that separate bucket and although we talked about in the last segment, also being tax-free gives you that uh, tax-free bucket. So now you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. You've got a non-correlated asset to, say, the market or real estate or whatever <clears throat> that will con- steady, consistent, every year go up guarantee- with guarantees, insured, right? So you know even if your other investments don't do so well, this one's going to keep going, keep doing its thing, Right. And if tax situation changes or taxes impact you more in the future, again, that's a big unknown. Uh, this is tax-free. don't matter. In fact, I mentioned in the last segment, if you have an IRA or a 401K, you need to read the book, uh, book titled The Power of Zero by David McKnight. I uh, strongly encourage you to read that book and then contact me with any questions. Again, it's The Power of Zero by David McKnight. I have nothing to do with this book. Uh, it's just I think it's a great book. And... Um, 
It helps people understand why to diversify their tax risk. Well, if you can diversify your tax risk and your market risk at the same time with the same asset, the same investment class, you're killing two birds with one stone. So that's why people find it quite valuable and so valuable, okay? So that it, that's kind of the, I guess in a nutshell, you know, I, there's a lot of people, the, the whole market market risk thing, and there's a whole lot of people that, you know, you hear them talk about, it, I find it funny. I find so many financial advisors, uh, you know, whatever, agents and stuff like that i tend to you tend to find to be really really positive about one and really negative about the other or vice versa right in other words you you got your 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 stock market investor or advisor who's you know all bullish about the market and you know to be fair they should be i mean you want them to believe in what they're doing right and there's many good uh financial advisors out there that do a great job with what they're doing and then you run into like your more guaranteed investment folks, like your your annuity and annuity and life insurance kind of people, and they tend to love the guarantees, and um, you know they don't want the risk. You know, I mean, they hate hate risk, right? And oftentimes, I find a lot of it has to do with personal experience. Understand, I've been in the financial industry twenty. This is my twenty third year, I guess. I've worked with well over a thousand clients in my career. Um, hunt, uh, well over 100 advisors, agents, such, such like that, that I've worked with and trained over over my career. And I find it interesting as I get to know these people personally, right, working with them over time, and come to find out with their very, you know, risk, uh, risk adverse or risk tolerant, right, a lot of it, some of it's temperament, of course, personality, uh, but I find a lot of it is just personal experience. In other words, if they're a risk, very risk-adverse person and they love annuities and they really push annuities and really talk really negative about market risk, I find often, oftentimes they had a bad experience themselves personally and they got burnt, right? And uh, if I, you know, you find somebody who's really bullish on the market and they're just gung-ho, you know what I'm saying? That, again, same scenario, except they've had a really positive experience with with the market. You see what I'm trying to say? Like I do with everything on this show, or try to do, the truth lies somewhere in the middle, doesn't it? In other words, some of both is actually probably better. You know, I, I can use a lot of analogies, but, uh, you know, I think most people, a lot of people like, uh, you know, a really good steak, let's say. And, uh, you know, really great, you know, we're talking a really fine steakhouse. You know, some people don't like it, but most people, I think, would. And, uh, you know, it's great to have on occasion, but would you want to eat that every single day? I mean, sure, there's some people that would. But, I mean, it's not necessarily that good for you. You know what I mean? In other words, you should have some vegetables, too. You know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> uh, some fruit, some vegetables. Some, you know. In other words, some of each is actually far better, far healthier, you know, far better diet, if you know what I'm saying. Financial investing works the same way. That diversification into non-correlated assets. Have some of this. Have some of that. If this is doing well, that'll do, you know. Th th this is doing poorly, that'll do well. And over time, you're going to be far better off overall, rather than say having all your chips on the table in one area, like all in the stock market or all in real estate or all in guaranteed investments. Look, if that's where you're comfortable and you just. Personality-wise, you can't ha stand one of those other options. I get it. I have some folks like that. But somewhere in the middle is probably the best for most. Listen Tuesdays at noon and Saturdays at 1 to the Your Personal Bank Show for more information. Contact Ferentz at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. This show is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information. The presenter and guests of this program do not engage in legal, accounting, or tax advice. Professional advice regarding your situation should be sought if required. Some products discussed may have limitations and not be available in all states. Excessive unpaid loans may affect performance. Distributions may become taxable if not managed properly. Replacements may not be suitable for everyone. There may be charges when replacing coverage. Dividend rates and bank line of credit rates may change. For current rates, contact Ferentz at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. Again, that's 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.